Well, I want to welcome everyone to the channel today. We have a very special guest with us. Uh, but before I get into that, I just want to repeat uh, that I am on sabbatical this month. Really excited to be able to step away. It has been a lot in the last year. I started this channel maybe about a year ago, and I have just really needed a period of rest and a change of pace as well. And uh, my hope is that you enjoy the channel, the content. I can tell you guys, uh, I may be at a thousand views by now. I'm not really sure by the time this records, but I'm really close now. You guys have liked, you subscribed. And if you haven't subscribed, please hit the subscription uh, button there. But you guys have have done such an amazing job just uh, consuming the, the content. And I am humbled, so humbled for so many of you that have been loyal and faithful and find what this is helpful. And I just wanna continue to have it be helpful to you. So please subscribe. I thank you for that. And uh, let's get into our guest today. This month, again, we are going to really focus on Sabbath. What's the theology? What's the discipline? What is the practice of Sabbath as I am on a Sabbath? Uh, but what is that? And how can we trust what God says and our interpretation of that? So I've got Jason Alexander, Jason and his wife, Justine, and their daughter, Hannah, live in Puyallup, Wisconsin. <laughs> Sorry, at Washington. Yeah, close, dude. Washington. Where he serves as a pastor for the South Sound Church of Christ. Jason attended the University of Wisconsin, where he studied Hebrew and Semitic studies. He was appointed as a kingdom teacher in 2014. He is just literally one of just a handful of folks that I've called in the last two to three years when I've really had really tough, complex questions. And he is someone who knows mm. Old Testament theology. He knows the Hebrew. He knows Aramaic. I, we can give him some very, very tough questions. And I intend to today. Jason, welcome to the channel, brother. Oh, dude, that is, uh, I'm not sure any of that's true, but that's amazing. Thank <laughs> you. That's great. All dude. true. <laughs> Listen, so my, it's, it's Puyallup. <clears throat> my wife in public called it Polywallop. So we're we're still we're still uh, trying to to pronounce things right. So that was that was a great great uh, stab at it, man. Well done. Bless you, brother. Thanks for coming on today. I appreciate <laughs> yeah, it. it's a delight for sure. Going back a couple years ago, I remember I reached out to you. I think it had to do with Hebrew. I think it was maybe around my first, maybe second semester studying Hebrew. Oh yeah, okay. Then I, yep. then I found you. I think I was reading the Shema. Ah, and, yes. um, and I was calling you because I was like, okay, I'm thinking about reading it. Should I say Adonai or Yahweh or Yahweh? Oh, or Yah? right. Okay. Yeah, yeah man, you that. broke it down yeah. for me. Yeah. <laughs> Word up. I remember that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you are the only human being to ever make me feel like a little boy. I'm six five, dude. So like, I, I come across uh, someone taller than me like rare occasion. But you, you, you win, dude. You're, you're you're living the dream. You got the spiritual gift. That's humbling, bro. I I don't. Most people, most of our listeners don't know that I'm six ten. They dude. they just see me on this screen and it's and rare. Person. I remember Steve Kennard at the teachers conference was like. I mean, he just couldn't. Yeah, it, it, it's staggering, man. <laughs> like, like I said, I, dude, I'm a big dude. Like you I, are a big I, dude. I'm, I'm taller. I'm taller than everyone I know. So, yep. well done. Yeah, you're a that's big good. dude. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about your conversion and why you went to the ministry, brother. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
So uh, I'm I'm from Rockford, Illinois, and it's uh, uh, you know it's I suppose it's it's a common thing in our world, but you know born of a certain amount of dysfunction, uh, you know, d divorce and separation and moving. And so I've, I've, I've moved around a bit between Illinois and uh, Wisconsin. Uh, but so I have a lot of family still in Rockford, but I spent like the formative period of my life in Wisconsin. Um, and around high school, we moved to uh, what was uh, then my grandfather's fishing cottage, like on Lake Wisconsin, um, just as a like, you know, not sure where we're going to move next. Uh, we landed there, but it ended up being like 10 years. So I, I uh, went to high school in this little town north of Madison, Wisconsin. Um, and uh, there uh, I swam and fished and <laughs> ran through the woods uh, until that got boring. And then, um, uh, yeah, as a kid, now I, now I have a ton of, I mean, it's been formational for me in my, um, my thinking about God. It's just a beautiful place. But at the time, it was kind of dull. So, uh, so I spent, I threw myself into hip hop culture, which was like, the oddest fit ever, like small town Wisconsin. And, um, you know, I, so it was a bit of an identity uh, crisis there happening. Um, but uh, so I had, um, but I had been introduced to the thought of God pretty young. Um, and I went to uh, a, what do you call it? A, uh, it was a Lutheran, Lutheran school, like kindergarten through uh, second grade. And so I think that that season of my life was, um, you know, that was difficult. It, it, it did some things to me that probably weren't positive, that environment, but it also, it really set a basis for me for thinking about God and church. And um, so I, I kind of lived almost haunted by the thought of God, like all the way through high school in those kind of uh, confusing years in Lodi, Wisconsin. Um, around uh, 1998, I had just graduated high school. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what it was that moved me toward reading the Bible, because I was like not a reader, like D minus student, barely made it through high school. Yep. <laughs> um, Same here. Is that right? Okay. Same here, good. brother. Because uh, I'm not, now I'm trying to wear that as a badge, but it's, yeah, I, I could have done better. But there was, um, so there was, yeah, I, I, there was a searching um, in my life at that season. And, you know, again, I'm just throwing myself into trying to be the illest, uh, you know, MC, turntablist in Lodi, Wisconsin. And that just wasn't enough, believe it or not. So, um, but there was, there was a kid um, that had started reading the Bible. He was like a year older than me. And I heard about it. And someone told me, oh, yeah, this, this dude, you know, he read uh, the book of Revelation, which is, uh, it's a book of the Bible about the end of the world. And I remember being like, there's a book uh, that, you know, about the end of the world. Like, I got to get involved. So, so I found the, the nearest uh, 
King James Bible and read through Revelation, and there, there you go. It, in the it, King James, brother. Oh man, yeah, for sure. You had to. It was like you got to read in the King James. So that's the, the you know, that's the the oldest uh, oldest edition. So, um, uh, yeah. So, but I, I picked up the Bible, and it's strange. You know, it's a small town, and um, it was just like wildfire, man. Like me and my friends, we all just started reading the Bible together it was kind of odd um and so for about a year like on our own this crew of like kids that were really you know involved in the hip-hop community and like just reading scripture and uh you know trying to sort it out and making a ton of mistakes um and then uh and then it i was invited to the church which i later would place membership in madison the madison church of christ and uh, yeah, all me and my friends went there. We did like a introductory Bible study with some some guys. Felt like I learned more in that moment than I had in the previous year with my uh, ridiculous friends. So yeah, we we all just like were we were um, yeah we were captivated. We all became members of the church together. We were all baptized together. It was pretty exciting. And it's a small town, so word travels fast. You know, D-minus students, a group of them are all reading the Bible together. So, <laughs> so it was a pretty special, special moment because it, it you really saw God taking hold of, um, yeah, I was uh, a part of a group kind of conversion almost. It's really interesting. And then so, you've been in the ministry for how long now? Um, uh, I guess... Uh, Ex doing ministry exclusively since about 2014. I, I, um, I, I worked for, um, while I was in, in grad school, I did, um, I did like, what do you call it? Part-time ministry, I guess, in Madison for a number of years, but yeah. So I'm, I guess I'm on like year seven, maybe. So it's time, it's time for my sabbatical too. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> It's yeah. right, man. It's so needed, man. Hey, yeah. So the the theology of Sabbath is misunderstood. It's probably not very well understood. Yeah. And we've got wow. There's a lot of different reactions to Sabbath. I mean, you have Torah observant Christians, Seventh Day Adventists. Right. Um, we, I mean, when you look at Judaism as a whole, their understanding of Sabbath, I think, is very different from a Westernized right, understanding right. of Sabbath. Let's just start with a basic theological understanding of Sabbath. Let's start there. Oh, yeah. Well, um, yeah, I, you know, I, uh, I, I continue to, to learn uh, about um, what, what to do with how this, this issue presents itself in the Christian Bible, because it isn't, it isn't necessarily easy, uh, easy to grasp what to do about it. And of course, um, in a in a very hurried world, I've noticed, at least among you know churches like the one we're a part of, a a renewed interest in rest. <laughs> um, and I think that's appropriate. I think people are uh, on the verge of burning out on, in in every corner of our world, and it's it's. Uh, discouraging when that's the case uh, among the people of God. So there, there is, I think, a, a something of a hunger uh, in certain places to, to make sense of it. Um, 
Yeah, so, you know, it, it, the, the Bible uh, doesn't necessarily speak in one direction about uh, the Sabbath. It, it, there's at least two rationales um, uh, for, for why the Sabbath is important. Um, but, of course, the first time one encounters the idea in the Bible is Genesis. Oh, Genesis chapter 2. Um, but the word Sabbath doesn't appear in Genesis chapter two. It's a, uh, but the, the, uh, a verbal form and it, I'm not, it's not clear whether the noun or the verb came first, but, uh, so you don't get like the Sabbath as a, as a regular day of rest, as it becomes a little later in the Bible. But in Genesis chapter one, uh, it merely says, uh, that, uh, God had rested, um, or probably an even uh, more helpful way of taking the, the word, uh, the verb Shabbat to cease. Uh, God stops, ceases his work. Um, and, and that, how that comes up in Genesis is, is I think, really important to, uh, to the creation story, at least that first part of the, you know, uh, uh, that, that first creation as it unfolds, um, because, uh, you know, there's this um, development of a, a, you know, an, a very ordered world uh, emerges out of a non-order, um, and it does so by, like, like divine fiat, right? It's like this uh, God calling uh, disorder into into order um and he's he's pictured almost like i'm thinking of psalms like psalm 33 where uh you know there's this poetic uh retelling of god as creator and it's you know he breathes stars but but it uses the language there of command that god commands things to be um and that's very stately you know regal language god portrayed almost as this like uh ancient near eastern uh, royal being, uh, king, you know, calling creation into, into being. And there's, I think there's certain things, uh, that happen like the issue of the seven days, um, which if, if we, uh, were to read on in the Christian Bible, or we were to take in some of the other ancient Near Eastern creation, uh, accounts, we'd notice that seven has much to do with, uh, deities living in uh in a temple um so long and short i, I think i think what we have going on in the first uh, chapter of the bible and into the first three chapters chap verses of the next chapter is a story of god organizing the world and ceasing from his work or taking up a kind of residence in the created world as a temple and we'd want to say well if Genesis wanted to tell us about a temple, why didn't he just do it? And to which we could say, well, he did. <laughs> you know, it's, right, he, right. he really has taken some pains uh, to, to portray creation as a place where uh, it, it's organized by God. Um, but the, the, the world is, is, you know, just a house. It's not necessarily a, a home for God until he ceases and takes up rest. 
Now you have to move down the story just a little bit. How, how are you doing, by the way? Cut me off if this is great. No, I, no, no, okay, no. What, what with I you. end up saying doesn't make sense. I'm tracking please with you. Stop me because um, <laughs> it might not make sense to me either. Um, but when when it comes to the story of the Ten Commandments, uh, you know, the the fourth word of the ten words is to uh, well in, in Exodus, it's remember the Sabbath. And then it points back to the, the story of God as a creator. He ceases from his work. But what's interesting in, in Exodus and the Ten Commandments, when it points back to the creation, it says that uh, uh, God on the seventh day in ceasing from his work took up his menucha, his, um, his rest, his place. It, this is a word... Um, it comes from uh, the, the Hebrew verb nuach, but it's it's used in ways uh, like, for example, Deuteronomy calls the land of Canaan, where Israel will inherit this this you know these new neighborhoods, this whole new geographical uh, uh, safe place. It's called menucha. It's called the uh, the uh, the land of rest, right? Well, it talks about. God on the seventh day of taking up his menucha, entering into his, um, into his rest. It's also the same word used to describe God's residence in the temple. It's his, it's his place of rest. It's, um, it's his place of repose. And the idea with the temple, I think, uh, again, taking its cues from creation, is that when God comes to take up his rest in the temple... Um, you should see it as kind of like a hub of all creation from where God rules the cosmos. Um, and there are a number of other interesting things in, in Genesis 2 that point in that direction that um, where God lives, where the deity lives, other ancient Near Eastern uh, uh, creation stories where you notice that where the God is, that's the place from which life and creation flows out right even the story of eden it's the same same thing um but so if if that's the case if if uh god creating the world and resting or taking up in the words of exodus his repose his resting um it's his dwelling place he's like taking up rest he's coming to settle in creation then we really have to see creation as something belonging to god that he will run under his great authority and and care i mean genesis 1 there's nothing about genesis 1 that would make us believe that this is a harsh god right i mean it's very uh compassionate gracious uh people focused you know or at least he's concerned about the flourishing of humanity he comes to take up rest so that's the thinking i think in genesis 1 is that the sabbath isn't isn't you know, the word doesn't show up, but God's resting has to do, God's ceasing his work is a way of talking about God coming to settle or take up his rest in creation. It's temple. When I took my Pentateuch class, and I actually did a, a, an interview recently with Joel, and I brought this up, Joel Pete, I, I did an interview, mm -hmm, and I brought mm -hmm. this idea up of, let's think about it from the perspective of the ancient Near East. Right. And the brothers and sisters, the, the neighbors that they had, you have in Genesis one and two, a God who is really represented, as you had mentioned, like a divine king, and he orders the chaos, yeah. the cosmos, essentially. He's right, he's, chaos he's, to cosmos. Right. Yes, he, he has yeah. right. ordered that, he's conquered it. 
And now we're invited into that. And so Sandra Richter, her perspective is that we're living in Adam's, we're living without God's Sabbath. We're, we're living without his, oh, I essentially see. what yeah. we're living in right now is Adam's idea, but Adam doesn't have the power to order the, 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 the cosmos. Right. Adam doesn't have the ability. And that's where we have trauma, right? It's oh, things that kind yeah, of get all out great. of whack. And so Adam doesn't, so we're living in Adam's reality really nightmare. Right, right. So to some degree, I just kind of look at the underpinnings of, of, you know, we just read over things sometimes, even when you look at, yep. uh, just to throw this out briefly, you look at the uh, in Genesis one and two. And when you look at comparative ancient Near East religions, uh, take the Numa Elish, which mm -hmm. you know very well. And yeah, yeah. When if on you high, were a Jewish like person, you would have thought about this story and you would have compared it to other ancient Near East origin stories, yeah. right? There would have been yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. a comparison between Yahweh and then the God of, you name it. Yeah, Mar Marduk or Marduk. Baal, or, yeah, totally, yeah, yep. Yeah, it, 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 it gives the insight that, you know, th there was a certain way of conceiving of the world and how it came to be and deities and temples and divine rule and i mean there's a there's a a kind of mindset towards these things of of which israel is a part and obviously there's very distinct claims i i mean um the, the insofar as something like enuma elish is is similar to israel's account of creation there are things that set it apart in a radically unique way i mean um and I think this is this is where this, the Sabbath is not a throwaway command. I, you know, I've heard it said that we can break all of, you know, all there's nine of the Ten Commandments we could break in, in a religious setting or in a, you know, in a church or in a synagogue. And you'd be in, uh, well, in churches, really not synagogues, but you'd be in trouble for breaking the, the nine commandments, except in our culture the commandment about the sabbath it's almost like we'd be happy if you broke that because that almost looks like laziness so it's like right. there's this disconnect about um about the importance of sabbath but i think it's understanding and wrestling with these ideas because yeah you're right at the at the very end of the new testament is the image and what's interesting is the whole of creation in genesis or in revelation 21 and 22 is portrayed as a city and it actually goes on to say there's no temple here and the idea is if you're reading reading in a you know as you're following from the uh, hebrew scriptures you're like oh yeah there's no temple because it's all temple <laughs> and it goes on to describe the people who inhabit this newly uh, restored world and they're described like priests you know they they're dressed like priests i mean so the whole th the whole idea of creation is God taking up residence, not somewhere else, but to live among people that, that we might worship and serve him. And the whole thing is buzzing with the glory of God. Um, and both Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 in their own way, I think in, in ways that are really interesting, but probably beyond uh, an hour podcast, but the, you know, there's, there's, um, they're trying to draw that out. That, look, the creation, God, is, God desires to live in it. But here's where it has a practical, and this is where when you get to the New Testament, um, well, you even find it pretty, pretty obvious in the prophets. But when you, when you see Jesus and how he thinks about the Sabbath, 
is there is a real issue of justice and um and love and grace built into the idea of sabbath this is really cool the uh let's see in midrash uh tamid um uh it gives the the uh the levitical prayers for each day of the week they're psalms different psalms right on on the friday just before sabbath they read psalm 93 which is uh what you call it's like a, a yahweh is king psalm right like god is king and on saturday on the sabbath they read psalm 92 and so it's like it's out of order they put 93 before 92 and psalm 92 is actually uh it's headed with it's a psalm for the sabbath right but the idea is psalm 93 um really portrays god as king bringing order to the chaos bringing cosmos out of chaos now, psalm 92 is a celebration of that very god but it's this idea that god bringing order out of a non-ordered world is a sign of his victory so the question becomes what does the world look like when god is in his temple when god is running the world from his holy temple what is the the outcome of that and so Jesus, like he does with all of the teachings, right? Like, for example, he, he, the Beatitudes, you shall not kill. He's like, yeah, not, not killing is great, but travel, travel murder, you know, follow that to its, its beginning point, And you have hatred and, and greed. And so Jesus deals with, he, it's almost like he deepens uh, our understanding of these, these uh, commands. But he does that uniquely with Sabbath, right? Because He'll be doing things from an onlooker's perspective. You're watching, you say, you're breaking the Sabbath. You're, you're violating the Sabbath because you're supposed to be at rest and repose. He's like, yeah, the, God's idea of rest is that the blind would get their sight. God's idea of rest is that the, the, the oppressed would be set free, that the discouraged would have good news told to them. So there's this, this deepening of Sabbath that it's, it's not merely... Uh, mimicking God, like God was tired after creating, so he needed to, to take a nap, and so now we'll have a day a week where we take a nap, but the idea is to embody um, this movement from chaos to cosmos, bringing the order to the world. So from the Christian perspective, to talk about Sabbath as a day is to, is to misunderstand kind of the whole point of the day. Because it's almost like the signal of a larger reality, wherein the whole world would be swallowed up with the rest of God. So as Christians, we live in this, in this um, we, yes, and there's a big discussion about taking a day off, you know, and I think that's vitally important, and that follows from this discussion. But you could take a day off and miss the point of Sabbath, right? <laughs> like you could, you could have a day of rest and relaxation, but if you don't grapple with this, this idea of Sabbath is God taking up rest and us taking up the rest of God. Um, Sabbath becomes a really small issue. So in that sense, to do away with Sabbath is to really miss the point of the kingdom of God, I think. Right? I mean, I, I could be could be wrong. <laughs> but but I, th I think that's the case. Um, and so whatever discussion we have about observing a day off, before we do that, we have to we have to grapple with 
the larger image of the rest of God. Well, we have, so th there's a couple of things that you, you said that are actually, you know, turning my gears a little bit. My, my audience knows this. They hear me say it all the time, almost with every guest that trauma is a lack of Sabbath on the inside mm -hmm. of a person. So in other words, That's good. what trauma does is even if you observe Sabbath, you won't have the experience of Sabbath. Oh, Those are two separate. Yeah. And, and you just name that, that you can observe something, but miss the point. Right. I think for a lot of people, what trauma does at a profound level is it creates associations that are deep. Wow. They're yeah. wired, hardwired. Yeah, right. And those associations prevent the experience of God's intention for us, peace. Right. And now here's the crazy thing, right? So, so Sabbath is not so individual. So Dr. Right. Holly, you would appreciate Dr. Holly. You, oh, you know, yeah. my Old Testament yeah. professor Harding. Yeah, yeah. He did my penitent class. He did third semester Hebrew for me. He's, he's been an incredible teacher. Anyway, the Sabbath is one of three. This is getting, hopefully my hearers don't, our listeners don't get too uh, <laughs> lost or whatever. But the Sabbath is one of three transitional commandments on the Decalogue. Right. Yes. So the Sabbath is this intersect between the vertical like and the a horizontal. Right. Well, here's my thing, though, that, that I think is so important about the Sabbath is that the Sabbath is whenever I'm out of sync with God <clears throat> or a lack of Sabbath is when I'm out of sync with my Brilliant. neighbors. So yes, I can't say that, that I'm right. observing Sabbath if I'm that. out of sync with either one of, that's a problem. Right, okay, right. Number one. Yeah. The other thing, when we fast forward and we look at Paul's theology, I've been studying out Philippians in the Greek mm, and mm. this idea of arene or peace oh, is right. communal. It's about right. community, the community witness of relationships. And so this community, if done right with, with the messianic ethic right, that the, right. the kingdom is really about, that ethic heals people who've been rejected. That ethic yeah. helps people yes. who've been wounded. That, that ethic is restorative. And so the ethic of peace is based in Sabbath, but Sabbath is actually based in community versus individuality. Right. <laughs> there's right, a, there's a, right, there's a, right, like right. a both and there. So right. how, how am I doing on my theology? Because no, I, I, th really... no, I, lo I love what you're saying about the, yeah, that it, there is, there is a, um, a relationship to our, our common, uh, you know, you know, uh, our neighbor, this, this, um, this call the Sabbath isn't merely, and I think it's hard for us to, at least it's hard for me. Um, we think of rest as a means to better and more productive work um and so often the sabbath gets like i gotta i gotta rest so that i can you know six six days and then i rest and then um and then i'll, I'll be able to do more on the on the next six days but sabbath isn't like that it's not in the service of our materialism or our, our work <laughs> ethic you know it's right. it's not it's it, it it is about what you're describing it is about embodying a way of life that is fully directed toward God to such a degree that we lead lives of justice might not go far enough. Maybe love is the, is the better word because it's, it's this um, like uh, um, Isaiah chapters 56 through 66. Uh, most, and I think for good reason, see these chapters as dealing with that period uh, when people are coming back out of exile 
and they're coming back home, you know, uh, who gets to be in, what's membership look like, you know, we, we've, we've been away from home for a long time, we've taken new wives, who gets to be in? And the, the, the chapter's open with, uh, don't let the foreigner say, I don't belong. And don't let the eunuch say, I'm a dry, withered tree or whatever. Um, but, you know, the foreigner, the eunuch, uh, which were some of the groups excluded from Israel's temple life. Now the prophet is saying, let them come in. Ah, 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 but you've got to keep Sabbath. You've got to keep my Sabbaths holy. And there's something about that. I don't think God is just looking, I want to make sure you're very disciplined and you're like my people. But I think nothing more embodies the spirit of what God was seeking in Israel than observing the Sabbath and keeping it holy. Because like the temple, right? The temple is, the temple isn't an end in itself in, in the Bible, right? The temple is like a sign along the road towards the creation-wide temple. Sabbath is something like that too. Sabbath is almost like a sign along the road towards a world flooded with God's love and justice and righteousness. So, so for Sabbath to not mean something for the neighbor would be a, a, a severe misunderstanding. And we can get really selfish with the Sabbath in our culture. Um, like I said, I can't tell you how many discussions I hear in books being written. I have like three friends writing books on the Sabbath right now, and they're all wonderful. But, <laughs> but in the wrong hands, that thinking can be about me and my rest. And that's, that's part of it, but it, it's bigger than that. Um, so I think it's a more challenging idea than we, we make it out to be in that sense. Well, there's something vocational about yeah. image bearing and being a Sabbath keeper. So for example, right, when I right. think of, if we think of, like, it, it kind of reminds me like in the Old Testament, this is one of those things too, when I think of like monumental law. So it's this idea that it's not about the, the letter of the law as much as it is about the principle. Right. And right. I think sometimes we, like, what is the real principle? Well, we see in Hebrews, right, that the, the Israelites, they kind of missed the rest. Exactly. Well, how did, well right. because of disobedience. And so, so Sabbath is really about this trust. Yeah, uh -huh, I'm in sync uh -huh. with God. I'm in sync with my neighbor. And, yep. and the prevention of experiencing that, that trust and that rest is now when we, we we don't have Sabbath, we don't have peace. Yeah. And we aren't sit, situated, as you mentioned back going back to Genesis 1 and 2, we aren't situated in that created order. And that's where right, our security right, really comes from. Right. And as Christians, yes. our security comes from the already, but our, the, the not yet. So that's a tension point, right? Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. there is a Sabbath that exists for us right now in heaven, but it also exists for us here in the kingdom yeah. on earth. And There's that's, a that's a hard, so we're observing, and this is where you get, let me kind of just say this real Please. quickly, Torah observant Christians, Seventh-day mm -hmm. Adventists, there's other spinoffs too that have probably been a re reaction sure. to the lack yeah, of sure, observing. Right. Uh, can I, can I just have you very, very briefly talk about how some of these groups have maybe pushed back against or reacted against mainstream evangelicalism? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and again, it's, it's very understandable. And I don't want to speak out of my depth, because I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't run in those circles. Um, uh, but, but I think anytime you, you uh, again, if you have this, you know, 
full discussion of of the rest of God in Scripture, like you, you mentioned Hebrews, like you know, and Hebrews is quoting Psalm ninety five by saying, uh, you know, the the disobedient didn't enter the rest, they're the land of Canaan, the rest of God, and so it's like, look, there there is there is rest available for God's people, um, but it requires you being humble before Him. Um, but it's not turning these things into a law for the church. Uh, these, are, these are no longer badges or identity markers that we wear in terms of commands being obeyed any more than circumcision or temple or kashrut or any of the other um, identity markers for, for your um, first century Jew when Jesus shows up on the scene. Um, and so I think, um, again, what's, what's difficult, I think, about Jesus uh, for us is there is a, I like to think of it almost as like a deepening of what's happening in the Hebrew Bible. It's, it's in concert with everything that's there. Um, but it also, it's like once you begin with Jesus and look back at these texts, it's like you get a new insight into, into the extent to which God intends um, you not to murder or to observe Sabbath or to not covet. I mean, even to the point, right, Shema, like, um, body to love and love the lord your god it's not the same in, in the shema as obey the lord your god i mean jesus is i think trying to show like god is really after something bigger than your your duty <laughs> and and anytime i think you turn what god seeks from humanity into duty and imagine that by that duty you are redeemed. It's to reverse the process by which wow. I think salvation comes into our lives, right? Because Israel receives the commandments post deliverance, right? They're, they're not obeying these in order to be saved. And so Good however point. we're going to think of these things, they have to fit with the larger picture of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. So I'm a little leery of legislating Sabbath for Christians um, but I would want to advocate that we don't do away with Sabbath because by doing so, we'd be doing away with what you just described, loved for God and neighborliness. It's just that it's much more than just a day off. What the really day off is important too. I take a, I take a day off. I try, you know, like where it's just rest. I try to have a Sabbath spirit to my life, but Anyway, sorry, I cut you off. Well, what I really appreciate about what we're doing is we're, we're one to elevate people theologically, not just in terms of being pragmatic. I think that sometimes uh, just certain cultures of people who love God and want to keep things simple can really look for practicals. You know, when people are in yeah, survival mode, right. they look for practicals. Just tell me what I need to do. Just tell mm -hmm, me what's yeah. next. Just to, And right. I'm like, wow, that's not the point that's not yeah, what it's we're difficult at. it's kind of tough to do yeah. <clears throat> and and i think that we just really need to elevate the conversation and people's minds understanding the theology or the way that things work together right. is part of that process let me move forward here yeah man no doubt in the 90s there were many ministry paradigms that were bent on world evangelism converting uh -huh. large right. numbers of people we had an overly driven evangelical an uh, evangelistical, evangelistic culture. And it, it was based yeah. in something good. Right, like, right, let's, right. Let's save people. You know, by the 1990s, and I've been saying this almost every podcast, by the 1990s, by 1990, Christianity Today 
had put out that there were over 500 mega plans to evangelize the world by the year 2000. Right, okay. right. So, and part of that just had to do with the baby boomer generation. They're, they've kind of been a flex point. They've been a leverage point for building huge command centers in terms of church culture. But oh. uh, yeah, Jesus didn't come back. Okay, we right. saw that, we got that memo. And then now there are there's just a blast radius of people who remember being driven, being mm, authoritatively mm. even abused. And yeah. And you want to talk about going on a sabbatical in the nineties? Yeah. Oh no yeah. Yeah, way. sure. Yeah. That would have right, been completely right. like you had said, people would have looked at it, you know, and said lazy or whatever. I'm just wondering when you look at the push for church growth, and when you look at the the theology of Sabbath, how can we help yeah. inform church growth? based off of this, this, this piece. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Uh, well, I have a ton of thoughts on this. I'm not sure all of them are correct and I'm not sure which ones of them are an X I'm trying to grind and which one of them are, you know, out of love because, yes, sir. I, you know, I, I, you know, I appreciate the, the idea of, um, you know, the stats and keeping stats. And I'm sure at one point I was a stat on someone's prayer list. And so I, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm grateful that someone would be scrupulous enough to take account of those, you know, whose lives matter. Um, so I get the rationale and the, you know, the, what drives that is, I think, um, you know, or at least I want to say is good, thoroughly good. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a cultural thing that, that happens to the church that I almost feel like we think we're above or, or if we're shrewd enough, we can kind of baptize cultural ways into the church and redeem them, but not realizing that they actually work their way into our lives in subtle and destructive ways. And yeah, I, you know, I know the 90s, you know, it's kind of the height of what, what has been called the church growth movement. Um, and, you know, you get, you get, you know, we, we tend towards language, for example, in, in, at least in, in the, the churches I'm, you know, connected with, we tend towards language, like winning the world for Christ. And all of that is good. Um, but for us in the West, winning <laughs> is everything. So even that can lead us down a path of, of hubris that, is dangerous before God. And so we don't view world, the, the worldwide spread of the gospel as the work of the gospel or even of God himself, but it's, it's us. And so, um, and that usually works itself out and, and care, you know, overly careful plans or maybe an obsession with plans. Um, and so th that can deform us without us realizing it. Then when the, you know, when the curtain is drawn or whatever, when the wool is pulled over our, off of our eyes and we notice, well, we're not that strong, the task of salvation belongs to God in ways we weren't aware. Some people have crises of faith because they were under the impression that we could do it. If we got the right formula, we could, we could do it. If we worked hard enough, we could do it. And so... Um, I think there are a lot of people that have had that experience. I know a lot of people that have had that experience and they're very exhausted and they don't have a lot left to go on. Um, but so I think there, there's a word that you don't see much. Uh, it would be a Latin word, uh, missiolatry. I don't know if you ever heard that, but 
um, it's an, you know, lay tree, like an idolatry, right? Like it's, it'd be the worship, worship of idols is the worship of, you know, idolatry is the worship right. of idols. Uh, missiolatry would be worship of the mission. And so th this is the idea that the mission that God has for the world, we take up and without realizing it, that becomes God. And so God is kind of like in the service of our mission. Wow. Rather than the mission as coming from God and only possible with his grace and help. And so I think even the way we pray, the way we read scripture, the way we preach sermons, I mean, it grows out of the way we think, you know, out of our theology, the way we think about God. And when mission is central, now it'd be nice to say the mission and God is central, but even that doesn't go far enough to not have, you know, the Holy Trinity, like the the triune God as the center for the church and to have something else, even something as noble as mission as our core, our center, uh, it, it probably means you will be restless. <laughs> it probably means you won't have space Yikes. for Sabbath because at the core isn't a trust and desire to honor God. It's achieving the mission. And again, that's subtle. Mission-mindedness and missiolatry are two ends of the diff of the spectrum, but the line between them feels very thin, and we can cross over them without realizing it. So I think Sabbath is a is a is an idea, a biblical idea, to ward that off. It's to set God as the center. Sabbath requires the whole thinking about Sabbath is to set God and worship of God at the center of His people, not some goal. Well, and I can't remember if it was in Deuteronomy or Exodus that when they were given specific instructions about the Sabbath, for instance, uh, they were to gather a double portion, I believe, the day before yeah. Sabbath. Yeah, exactly. The preparation, the commitment, the devotion, but then the trust Yeah. in terms of where your provision comes from. Because to me, Sabbath isn't just about God ordering the, the cosmos and the chaos, it's also about who I trust is where, who my provision is going to come from. Yeah. Yeah. Also, right. if I'm, if I'm doing Sabbath, that means that I'm not, I can't be so focused on protecting or defending myself. Dude, for real. So now we have yeah. protection, we have provision and we have the ordering of reality, right? right. God has the reality right, stone right. going, I'm going to go Avengers yeah. for a moment. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. He's got the gauntlet and it's like, yeah. no, he has all of that. Um, mm -hmm. that's humbling, but if we, if we want to, we can yeah. push back against that and not even know it. That's scary too. Right. Yeah. So I, I mentioned before there were two, at least two directions in which Sabbath comes on the radar. The one is creation oriented and it's not completely divorced from the other one, which is Egypt's, the Egypt, uh, saga, right? Like Israel's time. And this is Deuteronomy in the 10 commandments and Deuteronomy. It, it emphasizes not creation, but Egypt and the rationale for sa Sabbath there is you were slaves in Egypt. And so, in, and, you know, they would understand better than we do the oppression and pressure. And, you know, there weren't, doesn't seem when you read Exodus chapters one and two, that Pharaoh was in the habit of giving them a holiday or a weekend. I mean, it, 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 it multiplies the word hard work. Like, oh, like he, he made God's people work, 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 you know, in the service of the empire. And so here is this new way of life in the desert 
where you're going to have to not work and learn to be provided for. And I think this is exactly, this is the reference in Jesus's prayer, give us today our daily bread. It's, it's calling this to mind, right? The daily, the, the portion um, that, wow. that God provides. Um, so to observe Sabbath is to call to mind that God's the deliverer and sustainer of us, not Pharaoh, you know, not even our own charisma or ability. And so, yeah, it's a check against the ego of the church to observe Sabbath in that way. What was that Latin term again? Miss. Mis- yeah, oh, it's it's not one you're going to find much. Uh, missiolatry, oh. um, but it's yeah, it's just the the worship of the mission. Yeah, um, there's all kind, and that's that's the thing about idolatry, right? Is it's it's not it's not at least in our culture we're not bowing down to graven images. Well, we we may be, but not not like you know not many of us have <laughs> whatever asherah figurines or something like that but like uh you know idolatry is a subtle like you know there's uh, i'm sure you've heard like bibliolatry like the worship of the bible like right. the bible itself is god or ecclesiolatry the worship of the church like the church is god wow. and so all of those are so close to dead center that they sound and feel right until you notice, as Augustine says, like we are restless without the rest of God, right? Like it's um, what we need at our center is God. And that's harder than we thought. It's way harder than working super hard. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, we're going to pay for, we're going to pay for not being within the, the rhythm of created order. The, the, the Sabbath is, is something that is needed in, in our society right now. And in the church, because it does set God at the center. Again, the, the danger of, of our newfound uh, enthusiasm for social justice is that we define what justice and things like that, equity and righteousness, look like according to the agendas of the world. Right. Sabbath puts on the map a kind of love, right? A, a life of love, a community of love. Um, that one must be in sync with. And I think that's the idea. Jesus healing and breaking, quote unquote, the Sabbath is a way of saying to those who are saying, you're violating the Sabbath. He's saying, no, actually, this is embodying the very point of it. What's it look like when God takes up rest in his creation like this? Not like being selfish, <laughs> right? Mm. Like, and so it's such a, it's such a needed theology, uh, I think, for the church. Um, yeah, you said something else uh, uh, that uh, had my head spinning. But anyways, yeah, that's good, man. Um, so what, what, um, let's, let's look at here, uh, leadership perspectives. So I don't think many people will probably push back against sabbaticals now and Sabbath because it's, it, we are developing a Sabbath culture and I think it's healthy. Yeah. I do yeah, think yeah. as we do that, we need tons of education right, right, right. and help people right. to know what's going on. Some people might say, well, you know, my minister doesn't, he gets time off, but I don't, or, <laughs> right. you know, why is it that right. we like, is it that they want to go do it because they want to go study or they want to want a long vacation? Yeah. And, and it's yeah. like, no, actually, <laughs> yeah, right. you need some more education yeah. on this. What? When you think about going on a Sabbath or a sabbatical, or when you think about ministers who have, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as a minister, why would you say that it's vital? And specifically as a yeah, minister? Yeah, yeah. Well, what's interesting is this, uh, the idea of a sabbatical in the 
in for ministers um work you know it's keeping in step in some sense like you're saying with creation but it's also like pretty accepted in in our hurried business culture too right i mean like um you know people who work a question. Ton in, in good companies anyways they give you a break every seven five or seven years right and you know because you, you you know any any wise manager understands that if i want to get the most out of my people <laughs> they need to have some energy you know and so they they get that and so there's some of that even just that just the logic of that like from a congregation uh standpoint like you you want your your, your ministers to to have god at the center it's not uh, just because you collect a paycheck and devote all of your time to, uh, you know, the congregational life and all that that means, it doesn't mean that you are not also given to the temptation of hurriedness. The last thing I want to uh, do is be led around by someone who is running on their own strength. And, you know, just having done ministry for a while, it, it, it's... It's exhausting, and some are better than others at it, and I'm still learning. Um, but yeah, I think it's an appropriate thing for the service of the church. And and this again is where, if we want to talk about and use language like sabbatical and talk about the Sabbath, I would want to make a a, a, a differentiation between vacation and Sabbath. Um, you know, like some people take a Sabbath to write a book. I would almost want to say, yeah, don't write on your Sabbath. Like that's, that's not the idea is to work more. It's not a break for you to seek out your, you know, your endeavors. I think the idea is to really rest, replenish, worship, pray, be with family in the ways that allow you to commune with God. Um, that in a hurried life, when you're caring for a group of people becomes more and more difficult. And we, we're, we're human. So I think re rest is the, the what do you it's it's us uh surrendering to the idea that we're not gods you know mm. and having been a congregant and not on the other side of the pulpit or whatever not not being a church leader for most of my christian life <laughs> we have uh outrageous expectations of people that do ministry yes we um, do uh, and so I don't know if there's a Latin word for worship of the minister. There's got to be, but there's a, but the, you know we we can um, we can make them into gods and expect uh, too much from them. Uh, I, yeah, so I think I I took a, a long break between my last ministry job and coming here, and it was intentional. We 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 broke ties with a lot of chaotic things in our life just to heal and. You know, when you have, when you're caring for people, you want to be centered. And I want, you know, like, I want my shepherds to be centered. So I think that's the idea. I, yeah, it's like you said, you, there'll be some who will push back, but it doesn't take long to dismantle that thinking even biblically in my mind. Um, no. But I get it. In our culture, a sabbatical looks like laziness, but um, it's hard to rest too. Like, I've talked to ministers that, you know, like they're on Sabbath, they're like, it's, this is hard. I just want to, you know, work. And so it, it's, it's hard work to just focus and be connected with God, which in my mind, that's numero uno on the job description for my minister. Like be oriented around God for us, you know, like we need you to be like that. Um, so 
that's how I defend it. I don't know. It's probably a better way, but um, I'm all for it. Well, yeah. And I love the fact that you just mentioned that between your ministry assignments, you, you intentionally took time uh, between, and I think that, you know, Sabbath isn't just about rest. It's about pace. Oh, and about great. going to the next thing. And, and yes. so that was so smart. That feels like a really good way to a really good lead in to where you're at now. It would it would have blown my world up. And it's funny, like, um, and, you know, ministry, you know, this is where I'm grateful. There are men like you around and you're accessible and you're, you know, you're doing stuff like this because um, for ministers, there's a lot of trauma, man. It, it, it is. a it, It's hard. Uh, it's hard to not be liked <laughs> by everybody. It's, you know, it, it's, it's hard to understand that the role of a minister is not to people, please. We're not, you know, diplomats. We're not there to make people happy. That's not the, like, we're there to nourish and lead and guide to the glory of God. And sometimes that's no fun for people. Uh, and, but that, that can drain one. And I remember when we had stepped out of our last ministry role, feeling like, okay, I could, you know, we were going to go right into another ministry job. But I remember thinking like, you know, I got to unwind because I'm not sure I don't have some access to grind. And I don't want to move into my next congregation with any kind of like ulterior motive, trying to balance the scales because I was wounded or you know and so i think sabbath is all of that healing at least for me for for me and my wife to like you know cry with god and you know like this hurts god and i want to do this about it but trying to listen for god and you normally i'd hear something like yeah don't do that just rest sit still trust me and so without that i'm convinced i would flame out of my next you know i wouldn't yeah you're right i probably wouldn't be here probably wouldn't have been hired here, you know, because I would have been too keyed up. So, and that's normal. I, I think that's normal. I know a lot of ministers that go through that. I'm not unique. Um, I so. believe that right now, especially with the last year, I believe last, so 2020, I believe it probably put five to 10 more years yeah. of wear and yeah, tear yeah, yeah. on ministers than yeah. they realize. number one. I also do believe... And I'm not diagnosing any minister, but I believe that there's a, a ministry paranoia that develops. People oh, become great. a bit paranoid yes, when they're sir. in the ministry. And I and I think it it just kind of feels like, well, I'm being discerning or I'm I'm being extra diligent in how I yeah, say things. Yeah, well, yeah. actually it's changing your personality. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. You, I feel like I want to go take take you down in my living room so I can lay on the couch and talk with you now. <laughs> You're, you're really, you're hitting it, man. I'm surprised you can pick up on that um, and not be in the full-time ministry because I wouldn't have been able to articulate that, but absolutely, dude. That, that is absolutely the case. It's exhausting. <laughs> it's hard to be, what's the word? What's the key, um, you know, ministers are, are taught, you know, there's a seminary thing, I'm sure you've encountered it, but like self-differentiation within the congregation, right? Like being able to uh, be authentic in the best sense of that word. Wow, it's hard. It's so difficult. Um, uh, but I, again, 
I don't say that and have the expectation like congregations, you should understand that. How, how could people if they're not doing it? That's why I'm surprised you do. Um, and so that's just a cross you have to bear. You don't get to like point back and say like, hey, it's your fault. I need a break because that's not it at all. It's that ministers are, are no <laughs> one perfect, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's good, man. Well, if, if it wasn't for so I have an incredible minister, Tim Sherrill. He had oh, me teach yeah, the um, our our small group leaders differentiation of leadership. It's like a four part mm -hmm. series that he had break wow. down for my people. And honestly, I just, so this sounds bad, but at times I, I feel like people probably already know this stuff or whatever, cause they've been around a sure. long time or they've been in ministry. And more and more I find out whether it be trauma or differentiation that people don't know and they need teaching yeah. on that. And that's okay. I just assume yeah, yeah. people yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. It, it differentiation, it's interesting. I, uh, I've got a blog series. It'll be a four part blog series coming out in the next week or so, maybe on that. And so I'm actually really glad you brought That's that up. That's great. On my, uh, what a sabbatical, I guess I never use that language, but it, that's basically what it was. It was just us resting and pulling back from life. And, um, it was difficult because I was left when the noise kind of settled down and I wasn't have you know, I wasn't like running the show and, you know, like uh, giving the vision and, you know, like showing my gift and using my gift, you know, like all of the things that are me, me, me. Um, and I'm sitting there with God for an extended period of time, like all of the sudden, like it, it's like the walls come crumbling down. Like I realized like, oh, wow. And it came through someone telling of a friend, he, and he's a good friend. So it came from the best possible place, but he said, he said something like, Jason, you're a big intellectual baby. <laughs> and Whoa, man, I, wow. it was public. Oh yeah, it was public. Hey, we were like in a group setting. Yeah, he's a good, like a really, really good friend. And he was like, he said it like, you know, joking, but oh man, it stuck with me. And I'm like, I'm a baby. Like, like there's so much in my life. I'm just immature and I don't handle, I don't handle challenge as well. I don't, mm. And, and I'm supposed to be doing that well in ministry and I'm really bad at it. And that has to change, you know, like, so what do I need to, to work on if I want to serve God's people? Because if I'm not going to work on those things, if I can't grow on those things, then I better hang up the gloves, you know, like no more, no more leading people around if I'm not going to grow in these areas. So that's a massive, like the, such a fruitful discovery that I wouldn't have had if I was running at the pace that I was at. And so most of the time ministers come back with a sense of like, oh yeah, there's things I got to change about myself. You know that. And that's good for all of us, I think. Let um, me ask you uh, to bring it in for a landing. There's yes, a lot please. of young teachers like myself, even younger than me uh, coming up and the next generation of teachers are incredible and they're going to yeah. include more 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 females which i'm really excited oh about. yep totally what encouragement and advice do you have for the next generation of teachers oh boy um nothing that i would say is original it's stuff that's you know being passed on to me but i you know i, I well i guess in some things i guess i am learning but um i think the hardest thing in our in the setting right now and in, in, in churches like ours, there is such an, an, 
you know, onslaught of uh, teaching and content and podcasts. I mean, the things that are right at our fingertips, like when I would, you know, I, I had to go spend a ton of money and time to learn. Now I could download a podcast and get the same information. You know, there's something to be said for the classroom. But my point is that there is this environment that almost it, you could become preoccupied with the, the study part of being a teacher. And I don't think the academy is, you know, like higher learning biblical studies is always the best um, role model for teachers in the church. Um, and so I think being very cautious about that, I mean, edu getting an education is instrumental and going back to seminary, I mean, you know this, you're, 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 you've, you've done all this and it, it broadens you in ways that the congregation needs, but that gets away from you fast. And so I think my, just through failing, is cultivating a love and, um, uh, you know, a, a desire to use all that you learn to take care of God's people. And I know that sounds so basic, but teachers are really tempted to be focused on themselves because um, we're full of surprises, right? I mean, at any given moment, we have this, this, this content where we can surprise people like, oh, I didn't know that. And wow, that sheds a new light on that. And so you can come to think that that's your job to just surprise people with the, the hidden things in scripture, but that's, mm -hmm. that's not it. It doesn't always help. Um, and so through a lot of my own failing and being humiliated, learning to bring all of your learning in the service and it might not even be always at a congregational level it might be your family group it might be a brother but i think um for me that's how i'm defining success you know like being a teacher like trying to teach people about god in a way that um isn't about me or what i've learned you know um so that's so basic I, I didn't really make any point by saying that, I suppose, but um, it's where... No, I'm... no, no, it's helpful. Okay, well, amen. That's no, good. it's... The reason why I say it's helpful is because four years ago, I went back to grad school a second time, mm -hmm. and and I hit a ceiling, so it was appropriate for me to go back, but it wasn't long before that, that either A, I was getting myself into, I guess I call it recreational knowledge, where oh, you know, right, knowledge is right. fun, it becomes, you know... Basically, I'd have a knowledge binge and I would, I would just pick out on knowledge and it, it's fun. It's recreational. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, right. And then I started feeling just dry. Like, I mean, you write papers, you're in the languages all yeah. the time. There oh, comes dude. a point where you're just like, <clears throat> either I, I don't know if I want to do this anymore or this isn't, this is, I yeah. feel dry. I, I'm no I, nearer I, to God after any of this. No, no. And then I didn't <laughs> yeah. want to. I know that mean. certain people maybe were yeah. right about yeah. their concerns, but then if you survive that learning curve, if you survive sure. it, there is a fruit. Like the hardest thing for me to hold was this dissonance between theology and trauma. Cause on one hand I would be reading the Hebrew or the Greek and yeah. that would stretch me like crazy. I remember calling you like when I was yeah. in the thick of it. And then on the other hand, I come over in my clinical side, the DSM and all these oh, I can't specifiers imagine. and, all yeah, this crazy, crazy stuff with mental health, holding that was very fracturing. I don't know how you could. Well, yeah, that's insane. It it it's um, I think there's bad ways to do it, and I think I've done done it poorly at times. 
Yeah. Uh, well, it, it is hard. And that's, I, I'm, I'm convinced that's part of the test, you know, like um, how to manage, like uh, what, what's a metaphor, like the, like wielding the sword of an education, whatever it is, formal or not. I have friends that have no higher education and run circles around academics yep. theologically. So I'm not convinced that the classroom has it cornered. Um, but having said that, there is some like learning to wield that sword for the service of people. It's part of the, it's part of how one becomes a good teacher. So that's why I wonder if what I've said is worth saying because you just have to discover it for yourself. But but yeah, dude, totally. I don't know. Well, it's not, but it's not gonna be clean though. No, that's it's, true. That's it's, true. It's it's not gonna be this perfect process. Cause I don't really look in scripture and see any clean. I mean, there, you can say Joseph was clean, but not really. I mean, like he's like the cleanest old Testament guy I can think. The point is, is that it's going to be a process Yeah. regardless. And I made mistakes, but I tell you, man, the end product of how God can use a person is it's huge. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Amen. And it's so cool to see. There are so many people um, that I respect, you know, getting their degrees and there are ministers who don't, you know, fill that teacher role, but they do teach on a regular basis. But they're, they're, um, and it's a gift, man. It's a gift. Like you mentioned Joel, like you, Joel P. Like he, he's an example of a dude that's just like bursting with insight for the church, and that that's come from hard study over long periods of time. And so mm. there's just, um, yeah, there's an advantage. So I'm really grateful for the teachers, and you're right. There are all these people, like I said, I think we mentioned before, and I, I got to be one of the youngest teachers in our churches, yeah. but now I feel um, like I'm, I'm old because they're like, <laughs> they're, for real, like there are so many brilliant people younger than me um, that are really taking the church into new, new places. So it's, um, it's exciting, you know. What, uh, what upcoming announcements do you want to share with us? Anything special you'd like to? Oh, he, he, not much. Still trying to uh, become an adult. Um, we're, uh, <laughs> we're, we're, uh, yeah, we're, we're doing um, ministry here in uh, Northwest um, Tacoma, just south of Seattle area. We love life here. It's small little group. We're trying to shepherd and, and um, yeah, just serve the Lord. Uh, I personally have been, uh, my wife and I weren't able to have our own children, like biological children. And that was a very formative period in our lives. Um, and it, it created this um, really uh, just an enthusiasm for uh, the, the parts of scripture that pay attention to infertility and barrenness. And so uh, whether you call it a motif or, or whatever, it's, it, it's just to the side of the center in, in many texts. And so I've been working on that, or they've been working on me rather for some time now. So I've been in trying to uh, write a manuscript for a book that pays attention to how barrenness is, appears in scripture because it, um, it's there. It's all over the place. Um, so I, I, you know, that's not, there's no deadline on that. That's just me, um, you know, dreaming, but yeah, so I, I'm, I guess you could say I'm working on some kind of work 
barrenness. Yeah. Beautiful. So, There's, yeah. That's needed, Jason. I, I got to be honest, the trauma and the grief of, of that, of, you know, there's yeah. a lot of different ways of losing kids. Yeah, right, right, um, totally. And not having yeah. the opportunity to parent. In fact, uh, I would say, I mean, there's some situations I know of that people in the church have hard feelings, but it's not towards anyone. It's just towards almost the the idea of other people having a family. And, yep. and there, there's a very isolating feeling. Yeah, their, their joy, <clears throat> what... The, the joy of their life represents the emptiness and pain of your own. <laughs> it, it's Ooh. hard. I, I remember being, uh, we're just discovering we're probably not going to be able to have our own kids. And no joke, we had like six or seven best friends all pregnant at the same time. And man, it was tough to even be excited for, and they're our best friends. And, you know, we were, we were, we weren't like, you know, but it just hurts, man. And so, and that, that, experience happens i know in more more ways than just barrenness but what's exciting about that is it it's so uh such a part of the way god has worked through through these moments to tell not just not just to encourage and lift up individuals but to i i would say even pave the way for a a, a thinking about resurrection and god's um life-giving ability there's just mm. there's so much there so um yeah no, Thank that's, you, that, that's true, man. I appreciate you blessing us at the very end there. Hey, listen, I want to thank you for joining today. This podcast will probably be a little bit longer. I don't care. I'll be on okay. <laughs> anyway. Every Damn. square inch of today has been profitable. Oh, good. And I thank you for every, everything you've shared. And I'm going to share with you what I share with all my guests is that, brother, we are with you and God oh, is man. for you, Jason. Thank you, man. Means more, you know, that's good. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, if you've been with us this entire time, I am so thankful that you have uh, leaned in and listened to the discussion. I hope that it benefited you. Please subscribe, like, share, hit the bell notification so that when new videos come out, you'll be informed of those. And again, I'm getting really close subscriber wise. I probably, I don't know, by the time this airs, I'll probably be at a thousand, but I just want to thank everyone for all of your support. And um, this month is going to be awesome. And Joel Pede, obviously Jason and Michael Burns and all of those guys, as Jason had shared with me earlier, all of those guys are, I think, from Wisconsin. Or they, That's they the crew, man. That's right. Represent. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So we will see you next time. Thank you.